0: Welcome to Geared for Growth, another bonus Podcast episode this week, which is the recording of a webinar that I did with commercial property investing guru Jay Anderson. It was basically a commercial property investing 101. We discussed a little bit about what was happening with, with commercial tenancies during the pandemic, but in a lot more detail of how to get started with commercial property investing, how to minimize those terrible commercial property vacancies that people worry about, how to select properties for maximum yield, and And how to undertake due diligence. There's a lot of tips and tricks that Jay has outlined in this podcast and I think it's a really good perennial listen for anyone wanting to invest in commercial property for the first time or sharpen their skills to make sure they are selecting high quality high performing assets. Here's Jay. Hi, everyone. And thank you for joining me on this special webinar event where we're talking all things commercial property investing. And we've got an absolute property investing guru on the commercial side of things and in general with with Jay Anderson. Um, Now, if you haven't come across Jay before, he's a buyer's agent. Uh, He's got a buyer's agent practice with a very difficult name to come up with there, Jay. You've Obviously, racked the brain on that one. Um, he's a property investor, licensed real estate agent in New South Wales and Queensland, a property strategist. He's a director of a commercial property investment group. So, he's got some commercial holdings as well. So, you know, commercial property has been very attractive in the last little while. I think pre COVID, at least, there was a lot of social media around all of the deals that you can get in commercial, the fantastic yields. But of course, there's a, there are a lot of nuances to it, and I'd encourage anyone to do a little bit of uh, at least research to understand what they're getting into if they're not going to hire an expert like Jay. Just to kick off, we're, we're going to cover what's actually happening with commercial property at the moment. So obviously there've been some, there's been some legislation that's come out from the government about rental reductions for commercial tenants suffering hardship. We're going to talk to Jay about the 101, I suppose, which is how to get started in commercial property investing, how we can minimize vacancies, which is a, one of the big fears that people have when they're moving into commercial, how to select properties for maximum yields. They're the juicy the bits of return that we, we all get attracted to commercial property for. And, and getting into the, the real bones of the due diligence side of things as well. And of course, we'll have an opportunity for questions at the end. Um, so Jay, thank you very much for joining us. No, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure and uh, happy new financial year. Yeah, exactly. 1st of July. It, uh, it happened pretty quick. Now, we've got a lot of content to cover. So I want to jump in here. And um, if you are online, um, just say hello, let me know that you can hear us pretty well. But if we're jumping in to commercial property, one of the big questions I think people have is how much can you borrow? So how do you actually get into a commercial property to begin with? Yeah, and look, Commercial
1: lending and residential lending is, is, is very different. They're two different beasts. Um, with resi, there's obviously the, there's advertised rates, you know what kind of policies, terms, um, loan features are available bank to bank, and it's easy to compare. With commercial, it's really based on level of risk um, and, and the eyes or the level of risk that the lender has for that particular type of asset and for you as an uh, as an investor as well. So high level, I guess there's two types of commercial property loans. There's investment loans, which are typically lower risk. So that's taking out a loan to buy a commercial property that will be leased to a third party or is already leased to a third party. Um, And then you've got occupied loans, which are slightly higher risk. And that's where you're buying a commercial property that is to be leased or occupied by your own business.
0: Right. So tonight, well, a related entity, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so most of what we do is in the investment space. So majority of the the loan products, I guess, that we get for our clients and for ourselves is is what we call lease stock loans, mm-hmm. and that's basically a loan where the lease itself, it's a, if it's already a tenanted property, you need to be able to provide evidence through that lease that the rental income. From the investment is higher than the interest costs or the loan repayments.
0: Right. Um, So, commercial
1: lending is really um, determined also by the security that's held as well. So, things like office space, retail, warehouses are what most lenders call standard commercial properties um, because they appear to, well, they appeal to a, a mass market, a larger pool of tenants. And then you've got special purpose properties like hotels, service stations, childcare centres, um, which many lenders look at as slightly risker, riskier type property because it's only catered to a very limited uh, business sector. Yes. Right.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting you you share those insights because most people would expect the answer to be 70% LVR, right? Right. <laughs> That's, that's the easy thing is people say, how much can you borrow? You can borrow, you know, what percentage of the purchase price? But you're saying there's a lot more to it than that.
1: Yeah, and look, typically for commercial property over, let's say, a million dollars, LVRs can range anywhere from 50 right up to, say, 80% right purchase price. So a lot of that's around the property risk or the risk of the property type and the risk of the investor itself. So you end up getting what you call as a customer risk factor. Right, Um, based on your own experience and 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 insights, yeah.
0: And and if someone's wanting to buy, let's let's think of a of a typical commercial investment that someone might get. It it might be um, a a small office or a strato warehouse or a little retail Mm centre or something like that. Would seventy percent LVR be a sort of typical ballpark? Yeah, for one of those common standard
1: um, commercial properties, yeah, around that seventy percent is 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 Pretty much where the most common um lending lvr sits in
0: yeah. yeah now i want to chuck up a poll before i jump in to the next uh to the next question and that is are you currently a commercial property owner, just getting a bit of a, a pulse of who's online at the moment uh, or whether you intend to be in the future? So with respect to what the bank's wanting to know, of course you've, you've gone into some, some insights there, but is there anything, anything more that you think is important to put to the bank? Because I know that I've spoken to you before about it being a little bit like sort of like a job interview rather than just filling out a, a PDF. Yeah, exactly. So it's not just doing a standard loan application.
1: It's really about presenting the strongest case you can. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, like a job job interview, like presenting or preparing a CV. So typically you want to provide experience, um, provide your own experience as an investor if that's anything is applicable to the type of industry, of the commercial property that you're buying, due diligence that you've done on the area, the property, the tenants, Um And as an example, I think what we're talking about earlier was in a case study that we're going to go through um, later on tonight, but um, in part of the loan application for my client, we actually put this profile forward to the lender about the tenant's business, how long they've been in in business. This particular business has been in business for 41 years, big track record of success um, in their industry. We get a background information on the directors of the business, how long they've been directors, that they're locals to the area, what their vision is of their business as well, to really try and strengthen that application to um, ease any concerns or, or risk that the um, the lender may have.
0: Yeah, well, that's a lot of detail. I mean, do, do you get any feedback from the lender when you go to that level? Like, do they say, that's fantastic, that helped us to tick the boxes really quick, or that was the reason you got it across the line if you didn't address this concern? Oh, oh,
1: I'm a big advocate of using... Um, commercial finance specialists, like commercial brokers. So most mortgage brokers will say they can do commercial loans and and they can, but using really specialized commercial finance um, brokers really help you, I guess, formulate what information each lender likes to see. So it can vary lender to lender. Um, Some lenders might have a lot of experience, let's say in, in childcare centers or motels. And so the information that they probably want is a little bit more in depth into into the the industry of the business itself. If you go to a different lender and they don't have much experience in that industry, you probably need to provide slightly different information. So it does vary lender to lender.
0: Yep. And we've touched on due diligence and I want to dive into that on the next one. Um, we've got an interesting split on the poll too. We've got about uh, 20% of people owning a commercial property already. Uh, we've got 60% saying no and 20% saying not yet but I will be. I probably should have written that as not, not at the moment but I'd like to because there's will be and I'd like to. But, yeah, obviously we've got a bit of interest in commercial and I think that's um, it's indicative of what at least the, the appetite was pre-COVID. I'd be interested to see if that's sort of changed. Um, When we're talking about uh, due diligence, we've actually got a little bit of a checklist that you've provided, which I'm going to bring up now. So when it comes to making the decision about, okay, well, I want to get this type of property, what do we need to investigate to make sure that we're not falling foul of some issues with the property?
1: Yeah, so to start off with, um, my normally my first step is, is the financial due diligence. So looking at the lease agreement itself, um, the lease agreement in a commercial property is the Bible. Um, it's really important to understand and look at responsibilities, um, tenant versus landlord, all the lease terms, the lease length, including any option periods, lease expiry dates, um, and Is the the property itself fully leased? You know, is there multiple tenancies within there? Are they all fully leased? Sometimes you might have multiple tenants in the same property um, that are under completely different lease terms. So it's really important to do a lot of due diligence around that lease agreement. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Then we look at things like rent increases. Are there rent increases in the lease? Um, And what is the rent increase? Is it just by CPI? Is it by a fixed uh, percentage? um is there market rent review clauses and if there is market rent review is there a ratchet clause in there so that basically says market rent is a market rent review so let's say at the end of a five-year term of a lease um, you can review the lease and if the rent itself is below market rent for that area that type of property um, you can adjust the rent up to what market rent is Mm -hmm. What the ratchet clause is, is that protects you that the rent can't actually go down or backwards. So, that protects you as an investor. So, that's a very important clause to, to have a look at. Then we look at things like outgoings. So, who are responsible for the different outgoings and what are the outgoings? And then finally, you know, on the financial side, calculating what the actual true net income is. So, in commercial property, we really look at net income and net yields. Not gross income, gross yield, like we do in in Resi.
0: Can we um, take a minute to to unpack that? Typically, with outgoings, it's a little bit different to a residential investment property. There are things that the tenant would normally have to pay for that uh, would seem a bit unusual to a to a residential investor. And can you also explain the difference between the the yield? Uh, sorry, the the net and the gross rent. Yeah. Um,
1: So different outgoings and it really varies um, lease to lease and even the type of commercial property. So for instance, if we have a look at things like say motels, um, typically in motels, the tenant will pay for 100% of the outgoings, um, including building insurance and the owner's land tax liability. In other commercial properties, that might be the tenants responsible for utilities, There might be um, some general repairs and maintenance, but the structural repairs are reliant on the landlord themselves. So when we talk about gross yield versus net yield, so gross yield is essentially everything before expenses and net yield or net income is everything after expenses.
0: Yep. And when we're we're seeing yields of 6%, 8%, whatever, are, are we always quoting net yield?
1: Uh, in commercial, typically, yes. However, you need to uh, run the numbers you, yourself. So sometimes the advertised net yield or net return um, that might be in the, uh, the, the the for sale listing or yep. in the information memorandum, it's very important to you. You go through it um, point by point and you really need to calculate what that true net income is because there sometimes can be a disparity between the two.
0: Yeah, double check it. Don't trust the real estate agents. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, what else have we got got to go through? For well, I mean, the, yeah, the look agency. at look at risks. So
1: risk about the property. So local area vacancies. So let's say you're buying a a, a medical asset. Um, what are the vacancies like in that area for similar type properties? Um, demand for this the the type of property in that location. So if we use a medical center again, um, is there a uh, market saturation of dentists or pathology labs in that local market? Mm -hmm. Um, What's the demand for that type of property or that type of business in that market? And what's the overall health of that industry? So, looking at like retail at the moment, you know, retail is in a bit of a troubled place. So is some of that, um, the high density office space. So the health of that industry is not great. And that's some things we need to calculate in when we're doing a bit of risk profiling on the property itself. Yeah. Um, then we look at the, the tenant quality. How long's the tenant been in business? Do they have a track, track record in that industry? You know, typically we want to avoid new mom and dad startup businesses if they're fresh into a location, um, you know, because we don't know, one, they don't have, ex- possibly don't have experience in that industry, don't have a track record. If we can find a commercial property that's got a tenant in there, the tenant's been in that location for 7, 10, 15 years, have got a track record prior to that of success that obviously reduces that risk um, of, of that property. Um, then we look at market rent versus actual rent. That's another big thing. Um, so there can be a trap that a lot of early investors or commercial property investors that are just starting off, they can fall into the trap of chasing those high yields, and it can look very attractive and look great on paper. The trap that we see a lot of people fall into is they buy a commercial property that's already tenanted. The yields are great. The returns great. But when you have a look at the actual numbers itself, the tenant is paying above market rent. So the risk that happens with that is let's say there's two years left on the lease and then there's a five-year option term or or whatever it may be. If they're paying dramatically higher um, than market rent, at the end of that lease term, that tenant's either going to come back and hit you up for a big discount or they're going to be looking at somewhere else they can move, either getting a much better, bigger place for the same rent or get something comparable and save money on
0: rent. That's a really interesting one because that doesn't really happen in residential, right? Like no one would say, oh, this one's a bit of a risk because it's over market rent. It doesn't happen the tenant will move somewhere else so they'll negotiate or something. But if you've got, say, a five-year lease and it starts when CPI was 3.5% and there's 3% CPI increases year on year and then we have, let's say, a pandemic and CPI is at 1% or something like that. Then you can actually get five years down the track where the rent is so much higher than it would be if that tenant was to move out, and it chances are at the end of their lease term they might, right?
1: Yeah, and, and the the big one that we normally see is around those fixed uh, rent increases, you know, where it's three, four, or even five percent annual rent increases. You know, very quickly there can be a big disparity that happens between you know actual rent and market rent. Um, and the biggest one of the biggest risks with commercial properties vacancy. You know, so we want to make sure what we're doing as investors and the tenant themselves are happy in the location they are. They're, they're successful as tenants running their business in that location and, you know, they are paying market rent. If we can tick all those boxes, then it's a lot more likely that tenant's going to stay in that prim, in that location for a longer period of time. For sure. So, just
0: taking aside for a second, I just had a, a, a private question Um from a gentleman who I guess I'll, I'll leave nameless. Um, he's asked for a recommendation for a commercial finance broker. So I might hook you guys up later on and you can discuss that. Yeah. Um, but he's just asked, what's the safest commercial property? Um, warehouse size, standalone, or part of an industrial block? So I guess we're asking specifically about warehouses, but can you talk about, maybe tie into the due diligence, what, what, what necessarily makes a commercial property safe?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think the big things are ones that aren't at risk during economic downturn is mm-hmm. a big one. So we're really strong on um, medical assets at the moment. Um, yeah. It's a uh, non-discretionary spend for Australians. You know, medical is something we need. Um, aging population, growing population, you know, medical, medical is a day-to-day need and requirement for, for Australians. Um, and it's
0: subsidised as well, right? It's not going to get to the point where it's so expensive that people can't access it when we've got systems like Medicare and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then you've got um, high fit-out costs for these medical premises, let's think a dentist or a pathology lab or a medical centre, big fit-out costs. They're very much location-based. So I use analogy sometimes, that they're like a hairdresser. So if you've got a hairdressing salon that picks up and moves and moves to the neighbouring suburb, there's good chance that, hairdresser is going to lose 70% of their their clientele because mm-hmm. the clients go to there because it's in the local shops or it's nearby. So, like, so medical is very much similar. Um, and that's why typically you'll see dentist practices, um, medical centers that were there when you were uh, a, a kid or 20 years ago, chances are it's still a medical center or a dentist practice. Um, the tenants themselves are high income earners, um, which gives you a bit of additional security around that, that tenant themselves. So I personally really like medical um, accommodation sector. Um, Insane that accommodation sector oh, did get hit hard during COVID, but coming out the back of COVID with international travel restrictions, you know, it, it's we're gearing up for a domestic um, travel boom, yeah. which is good. But um, you know, historically, accommodation sector has been being very stable. Um, motels typically have a thirty-year lease, which is which is wow. which is absolutely fantastic. You know. Um, and when the when a lease in a motel gets down to about 16 years it becomes quite hard for that tenant to unsell the lease
0: so right. typically when it's they get them to be locked in long term
1: yeah and typically when they go to sell it they'll come back to the landlord and ask for you know 10 15 20 years of option terms to be added back onto the lease yeah. um which so they
0: can they can on it um yeah. What, um, what about the legal side of things? What else have we got to cover off on the due diligence?
1: Yeah, so in the legal stuff. so we obviously um, would want a, a, a commercial property lawyer. So it's very important to have a, a property lawyer that is experienced in, in commercial. Um, so they want to have a look at the sale contract, number one, but also the, the leases themselves, the lease agreements, really, so you can understand what any risks are, what any shortfalls are, um, what protection you have as, as a landlord, um, any inclusions and exclusions in the sale? You know, what's included, what's not? And then you've got the titles, searches, surveys done. Any restrictions about the property itself um, and, and any option terms? So restrictions might be it, it's got approval to be a medical centre and only a medical centre or whatever it may be. Um, then we jump into the what we call the the technical analysis Um and so this is where things like um that screen's just dropped out for me mike let
0: me, oh is it to slide? slide yeah <laughs> i've just i was just moving us over to the other side in case that was blocking your points over there let me let me stop that and i'll start that back up for you while we're doing that let me ask another question to anyone that is on, what most interests you about commercial property investing? Is it those juicy yields, the capital growth, or something else? And if it is something else, I'd love to know. Um, Now, let's try this. How's that? No, it's doing no good for me.
1: I think I've got a copy of this the presentation here. I'll bring it up. Yeah, okay. More. So on
0: the technical, the first one was the condition and BNP, whatever being Yeah, so, so the condition of the property itself,
1: so BNP, building and pest. So okay. um, what's the actual condition of the property? So, yes, we can have a look at it visually, cosmetically what it, what it looks like, um, but it's really important to get a, um, you know, whether it's an engineer, a building inspector, pest inspection done, so we can really understand what the condition of the property is Um, maintenance so not only what maintenance may need to be done to the property but are there any maintenance service contracts in place air conditioning servicing whatever it may be um and trying to get um information around previous maintenance history of the property as far back as we can go yep um capital works budget um you know the, the 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 investor or the property owner that you're purchasing the property off. Sometimes they'll have a Capital Works budget, um, past capex, what's been spent on the spent on the property previously, so we can get a good understanding of you know what's been done. Um, and of course, depreciation on their
0: improvements, Jay.
1: Yes, and that's the, that's the last point I've got. But uh, yeah, Wait,
0: I've, I didn't even see that. There you go. Here I am <laughs> putting my own sales pitch uh, on it. But uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, outgoings. Uh, Not only looking at what the current
1: outgoings are, but what potential future outgoings of the property are, and then the the tax depreciation benefits um, that the property might hold. And that's where obviously, Mike, you come in and you've assisted myself and, and many clients before
0: yeah and we love we love commercial because the legislation changes that affected plant and equipment for residential don't apply to commercial and there's 200 uh actually i think there's a 183 might be 283 pages of plant and equipment legislation and only two and a half is actually uh residential and what i'm talking about there is the plant and equipment items so There is an amazing array of commercial plant and equipment items. So that's obviously really important. Um, But this is your show, Jay. But before I let you jump into planning, um, a comment from Peter basically saying the due diligence guide is excellent. So thank you very much for putting that together. Um, And Peter has said that the returns and yields are both interesting. Also owning commercial property in your own super fund, which is maybe something that you can talk about as well. And with the poll, the runaway winner is the returns and the yields as the being the most attractive thing about commercial property investing so it just goes to show it's important to get that right don't just judge the uh information memorandum on face value you've got to check that out yourself so planning
1: Yeah, so look at things like the zoning, um, what uh, restrictions the prop, the, the the site itself may have. What could you do to it? Is there potential where you could add, extend, um, build onto the property itself? Have a look at the original development, any additions that have been done to the property since the original construction, any overlays, you know, flood, fire whatever it may be, um, and fire safety audit as well to make sure that the property is current and up-to-date with their, with their fire safety.
0: Beautiful. And um, is that little sheet, because I'm thinking Pete, I may even preempt Peter's question unless he's screenshotting away, but is that something you'd be happy to share, your little due diligence guide? Yeah, yeah, sure. Certainly beautiful. All right. So let's get back to faces. Yours is fine mine needs a little bit of work but I apologize for that um in terms of the yields now you know obviously the poll is is saying that that's what people find most attractive and and I can understand that as well you see uh, these these groups on Facebook saying you know this is the return and you know the loan's paying for itself and the owners getting sixty thousand dollars back in their pocket and I'm doing the sums and like oh, I should probably live on that you know <laughs> later on um, not right now I drink too much Shiraz but what <laughs> what sort of yields can we get Jay what what is reasonable out there in in the different sectors Yeah,
1: well, yields can vary. You know, how long's a piece of string? Yields can vary well, from three percent to Fifteen percent, um, but the sweet spot that we target um, for most clients, depending on the strategy, their cash position, LVR, you know, etc. Generally, we target between that seven to nine and a half percent net net yield, and yeah. that aligns with the types of properties we look at, the locations we look at. Um, that's the, that's the sweet spot
0: and um that was another private question as well what is an acceptable yield and i guess an acceptable being the sweet spot or you know does it do, does the sort of return uh, balance the risks and that's i guess why those those yields are more attractive because there are risks uh, as part of it and peter i apologize for putting my face in the middle of that slide but i'll get you a coffee a copy of that um yeah, when- with, just with that, Mike. What's interesting, I guess,
1: is a, a trap that I do see a lot of commercial investors starting to get into is because we are in record low interest environment at the moment. Yeah, um, they're starting to to reduce, um, I guess, the acceptable yield level on commercial property, and I have seen, you know, a few. DIY commercial investors, mum and dad investors, institutional investors is different, but mum and dad investors start buying commercial properties with yields of like 5%, which, you know, the numbers stack up when borrowing is cheap. But, you know, if this is going to be a 10, 15, 20-year hold, we just want to make sure that, you know, the numbers still stack up on a a higher average long uh, interest rate.
0: Yeah, and if you're getting a yield like that, you would hope that there's some capital growth perhaps as part of it as well. Let's talk about uh, the pandemic. Uh, That doesn't come up much in the media. I'm not going to use the word unprecedented at all except for just then. But what has the pandemic done to the commercial sector? We know that there was an eviction moratorium for residential. Commercial property owners can claim hardship and get massive rent reductions. Has the market been smashed? What's the impact and how does that code of conduct work? Yeah, so the, the, the Prime Minister came out and did the commercial code
1: of conduct, um, which is essentially overarching leasing principles on, on what needs to happen with commercial leases. Mm-hmm. It was then up to each of the individual states to implement their own version of it. Um, so if we look at, say, New South Wales, New South Wales basically brought it in from the 24th of April, 2020, and it's in place for six months. Right. A lot of what hasn't been communicated is the leasing principles that have been given are a guide and each of them need to be applied on a case by case basis, having regard to both the tenant and the landlord. Right. So a lot of what's in the media is about, you know, need to reduce, um, uh, rent in proportion to decline in 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 revenue for the for the business. Fifty percent of it has to be waived, fifty percent deferred, and a whole lot of number of other things. It really needs to be a applied on a case by case basis. Open, transparent communication with both parties, and it's ideally about um, spreading the the hurt, I guess, across tenants and landlords to make sure that once we come out the other side, that the landlord still has a tenant and the tenant still has. A, pro- a property to conduct his business. Yeah. Some industries have been hit a lot harder than others. Um, if we have a look at, like, the accommodation sector, for, for instance. Uh, you know, that's an industry that, I, that I'm invested in quite heavily. Um, travel, you know, domestic travel was came to a complete standstill.
0: Yeah.
1: We need to be able to get through um, this this pandemic time, and, and we're already starting to see it now where domestic travel is starting to, to increase Um, with international travel being restricted for at least until, you know, 2021, there are going to be a lot of people wanting to travel, and we're going to see this domestic tourism boom. So as a landlord, as a commercial investor, it's just important to have those buffers in place. And a lot of it is just built into that initial risk assessment that you do when buying a property.
0: Yeah. And was it effective, the commercial code of conduct? Do you think the government got it right? Um, I don't think it was communicated well,
1: to, to be honest. Um, the idea of it was right, that it was a starting point. It was a document that the tenant and the landlord could both have yeah. and it became a a, a guideline, a, a starting point to, to have a discussion. Yeah. Um, you know, As a commercial landlord, you, you want your tenant to stay in business. You, you don't want to be hard-nosed and say that you you have to pay full rent and when they can't afford it and if it's going to send them bust because what yeah. that means is... going to leave you're going to be stuck with a a vacant property um and you know you're going to hurt financially as well
0: yeah so in in terms of the the risks that people associate with commercial property and i want to um, put up a poll here at the moment is do you see the risks as being higher with commercial property? Because it's not like residential property is without risk. We have all heard all sorts of horror stories about bikey gangs moving into residential premises and that sort of thing. But how do we avoid or, or at least minimise the vacancies? Because that's the big fear. You know, investment properties certainly can, can be vacant for a couple of weeks, but commercial properties can be vacant for months or even years potentially. How do we avoid those vacancy periods?
1: Well, I guess high level I always think um, you have to think anchor tenants, anchor locations. Who are the tenants in, in the property um, or what type of tenant is going to be in there? Are they an anchor tenant? Are they lo- someone who's likely to be in that in that business, in that location for a long time, and their business um, relies on a property, or, or, on their business being in a good location? Um looking at things like below um, or at market rent, not buying an investment or a commercial property that is, the tenant's paying way above market rent. Because what's going to happen, like we spoke about before, time comes into the lease, they're not going to renew, they're going to move out. Um, place is going to stay vacant. You're going to try and find a tenant that's willing to pay the same amount. No one's going to be willing to pay that. Um, and then you're just going to have to you know, reduce your rent to meet uh, market uh, looking at different industries, you know, if we have a look at, say, retail at the moment, you know, retail is in a lot of trouble, um, avoiding things like that. High density and even medium density office space is, is high, high risk at the moment um, with the changes that we're seeing in that, in that sector. And I think buying properties that um, are tied to that location. So what I mean by using that um, hairdressing salon example that I spoke about earlier If you compare that to, say, uh, an accounting firm, an accounting firm who's got an office in a business park or a 52-storey building in the city, if they pick up, move office to the building down the street, it's not going to impact their clients at all, apart from having to update what their mailing address is. So there's nothing really tying that tenant to that location. So we always want to try and buy properties where the tenant is tied to that location
0: yeah that's an interesting one i mean as much as accountants are creatures of habit and probably don't want to move out and there is the positive that they're probably unlikely to go bankrupt you would hope yeah that's that's a great great point when you give the example of someone that relies on sort of the foot traffic of that location or being part of someone's routine who who works in the vicinity and going to visit that place that makes a big difference um 70% of people are saying they see the risks with commercial property as being high and we've got 10% unsure. So I think the risks certainly win out on that one, which sort of begs the question, should property investors sort of I guess dip their toe in the water with residential. Do you think commercial is, is an area that people can get into so much trouble that they should perhaps have a residential portfolio to either hedge the risk or just understand investing a little bit more or can beginners just sail right into it? Well, it really depends on your individual
1: circumstances and individual position. You know, if somebody came to me and they were in their mid-20s, and saying they want to buy their first property, should they buy a commercial or should they buy a resi? I think in the ideal world, someone in in that position, in that age, you'd want to build a resi portfolio first, get the capital growth, build that foundation portfolio and then transition into commercial to help offset income, stuff like that, so you can start generating a passive income later on. Yeah. If someone's looking to do a purchase in the self-managed super fund or if it was a couple in their, their you know mid-40s, 50s, 60s, um different 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 story um so it's really on a case-by-case basis in my own portfolio i've built the resi first and then started transitioning into the commercial um so i I think it's it it depends which is never never the answer most people like to hear
0: (laughs) it's an annoying answer and i was on a podcast a a couple hours ago and i gave the same one Um, so but i understand um so when it comes to, you just mentioned your portfolio, so you grew resi and then you went into commercial. The, the plan is to sort of transition from residential to commercial and perhaps be, say, a retired person um, with just a commercial portfolio, I would imagine, for, and is that really just because of the cash flow side of things? Is that the real power of commercial property that enables you to have that passive income?
1: yeah yeah definitely and and when you think you know from a net income position, if you were to get a hundred thousand dollar net income from a commercial portfolio, you wouldn't need that bigger portfolio for you to generate a hundred thousand in passive income from a resi portfolio you need a substantially large portfolio so um Part of my transition into into commercial as well is to do, a lot to do with my family's background in the commercial space, especially in that accommodation sector. So that's certainly helped me make that transition. But moving forward, I want to have a strong balance of resi and commercial, and they kind of help each other. You know, the positive income um, from commercial helps me build and grow my residential portfolio. So that yeah. so they work hand in hand.
0: I'm very interested in in the commercial sort of future because obviously things have changed um, post COVID or, or mid COVID. I guess it depends if there are any Victorians watching. Um, I'm going to pop up a slide which I, I want you to speak to, which you pr- provided earlier. Um, and and really, um, there's been a question or at least a, a point from another private person saying, "In your view, will retail come back?" to pre-COVID or will they be moving to online? There's a lot of different things at play here. And I know that there have been a number of different surveys done and employees are wanting more flexibility. Employers are rethinking the need for executives to travel rather than face, face-to-face um, or rather than, say, Zoom. What do you see happening given that you're at the coalface on the commercial side of things?
1: Well, I think that the two biggest sectors where we're going to see big changes is office and retail. Um, Mm -hmm. If we look at big CBD office space, and and we're seeing it already in in Sydney and Melbourne and and a little bit in Brisbane, if you've got a company that's got 400 employees um, and they've got three, four storeys of an office tower in the city, you know, their rent is is astronomically large. They've... Before COVID, they've just been forced into enable remote working for a lot of their employees. What a lot of companies are already reporting is they're seeing productivity levels actually increase now that people are working from home. Now that people have got a dedicated desk, office, two, three screens, um, you know, a dedicated workplace, rather than um, employees rushing to work, coming through the door at 8.35 and leaving at 10 to, 10 to 5, Um they're spending more time actually working. So I think it's very comparable actually to when like, smartphones came out and we started getting emails or work emails on your phone. You mm-hmm. started doing work a lot longer, responding to emails late at night, reading emails. And so I think that started to happen in terms of productivity for, for office space. Um, I've got three clients. So I do Resi and commercial. I've got three clients that have signed up in the, in the past few weeks that are looking at selling their Sydney home and moving up to the Central Coast, chasing lifestyle, housing affordability. And all three of those are off the back of COVID where their employer has changed their remote working policies. So two of them, wow. their um, their workplaces said they only need to come into the office three days a week, and they can do two days a week remote. Wow. So they've decided to sell up in Sydney. The money they can get from their Sydney property, they can either buy a much nicer place up in the Central Coast, better lifestyle, or buy a comparable property and pocket, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars in in, in the process. Wow. Um, and,
0: and when it comes to this graphic that we've got here, which I think um, was a REA. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're talking about search volumes. What What is this telling us?
1: So I guess what's interesting you can see obviously the, the huge dip um, in the middle in the middle of COVID, but also how quickly it, it, it recovered. What was interesting during this time as well is how the the search data changed for the type of commercial property as well. So we saw searches for medical related assets where which were essential services um, quadruple in, in in a period of a couple of weeks. Wow. Retail office space dropped off a cliff um, with a lot of investors now looking at, you know, moving into, say, medical or, or more secure secure tenancies. In the office space as well, what, what's very interesting is having a look at what's already happening in the U.S. So we've got the likes of Twitter, which told all four and a half thousand employees they can now work remotely indefinitely. Wow. Google and Facebook have told all their employees they can work from home until the end of 2021 which they'll then review it. Right. So in in Sydney, I've seen some of the, uh, there's a, a very large uh, multinational corporation that is looking at getting rid of one of their office buildings um, and basically doing a, which they've got about 15,000 staff and they're looking at uh, reducing their floor space dramatically and they're going to do a, a week on, week off with their employees. So cut cut their office space um and just do you know week a comes in and week b comes in the next week and they just alternate so wow, I that's, think that's on the big scale and i think what's going to happen with office space is that's just going to start filtering down a business because one of the largest costs in in running a business is, is rent yeah. you know and and it's and it's an easy one that they can they can cut down on at the moment
0: yeah and 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 If, if my sort of business studies, uh, serves me well, it's somewhere around six to 10% of of the expenses overall so you know, we're talking big biscuits mm. for a lot of these these big companies i'm interested in the thoughts of one of our guests melinda jenison's been on the chat she's mm. asked about industrial property with uh, with the increase in online shopping i want you to answer that question but i'd love to hear from you melinda if you're finding as a as a buyer's agent up there in brisbane whether people are making these tree change or sea change sorts of things and moving a little bit further out of the, of the city. What are your thoughts on on the industrial with the online shopping? Is that Amazon bloke going to get richer?
1: Yeah, and it's an excellent, excellent question. Um, the key thing with industrial properties is their proximity to, I guess, transport nodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so close proximity to, let's say, if we're talking Sydney, M4, M7, M2, they need to be close to those major motorways and highways Um, But industrial logistic centers, um, so big logistic parks, and even bulky goods storage, where it's going to be more of a, say, Kogan or Amazon, stuff like that. That that, that is a very interesting sector, and there's a lot of demand growing in, in that.
0: Those logistics sort of distribution centres are always sort of going to be there because, you know, Star Trek have got to have their stuff before they give it to you and Australia Post. And even if we're all doing Coles and Woolies online shopping, they've still got to have these distribution centres. So it's really maybe going to more affect those small bricks and mortar stores uh, yeah. which are selling your dresses or handbags or, you know, widgets. Yeah, and those
1: logistics in is like getting at my crystal ball. What I think is going to happen in in retail in in years to come is we're going to move more to a model like, I guess, Freedom Furniture or something like that where they've got a showroom. Yeah. You go in, find what you want, and then it actually gets sent to you from a a large distribution centre. So rather than retail stores holding all their stock in a store, having to have big floor space, think Maya David-Jones, smaller floor space but going in and ordering and then a lot of it's being distributed from these logistics or distribution centers
0: it's interesting to to see on on this graph that commercial property yes of course the searches died people didn't want to touch it but it came back to where it was and looks a little bit stronger and we've actually seen um some interesting data on the uh lease side of things as well so is that feeding into the changing demands of the workplace, i.e. there might be a lot of people looking to, for something to lease because they're looking at, say, downsizing?
1: Yeah, 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 definitely. And that's that That rental search um, numbers is, is where it's fascinating because it basically it's showing us that a lot of businesses are looking at relocating what else they could get, whether it's downsizing or, or diversifying slightly. Um, in the, in the office space, it's interesting because what, what I think is going to happen and what we're seeing the early stages of is rather than companies having this large single office space, is maybe more smaller office spaces in the outskirts. So let's say rather than having a couple of floors in office space in, in Brisbane, Melbourne or, or Sydney, we might see smaller office space for that one company. They might have one out at Norwest, one in Parramatta, one on the northern beaches, and it becomes more of little hubs for these companies rather than the big floor space. So employees come in to have meetings, whether it be weekly or, or you know, three days a week, and they become more little office hubs. Yes,
0: yeah, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years. I think we're going to see a completely different workforce than we've had traditionally and some of these old notions of having people to be in the office otherwise they're not going to be productive I think are getting smashed let's um let's move into a case study I'm interested in the nuts and bolts of purchasing uh, a commercial property and you've put something together for us which I think will be awesome for us to have a look at um what sort of property was this one
1: so this was a, a, a medical centre. Um, so the client was looking at doing a purchase within their self-managed super fund. They're mm-hmm. actually very successful residential investors, um, very successful resi investors, and in deciding to transition into commercial to start getting that cash flow. So um, built a great resi portfolio. On paper, it's great. Fantastic growth they've had, but now they're wanting to, you know, look at setting up um, their portfolio to help provide that income when they transition into retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, they had seen a couple of their, their their friends and associates dip into commercial and get burnt. Um, so they, they were wanting to get into commercial but wanting a bit of guidance on, I guess, how to get there and, and what's best suited for their circumstances. Yep. Um, the strategy we really had for them based on their, their numbers and circumstances, we wanted to chase a minimum net yield of 7.5%. Uh, sub $1.5 million purchase, and they mm-hmm. wanted strong, stable uh, tenants that have uh, been in that premises for, for a long period of time. Yep. Second st- Secondary strategy we had for that was we would like to get a property that had upside potential. So something we could do to the property to increase the rental income and manufacture capital growth. So value of commercial property is directly pegged in relation to rental income. So but say you've got rental income at $100,000 a year and it's at a cap rate at 7%. The only way we can really increase that value of that property is when that rent goes up, either by CPI uh, rent increases or if we can do something to add value to the property in return for an increase in the rent. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So what we ended up buying them was a uh, a medical centre, so freehold investments that was just buying the bricks and mortar um, not the actual business itself. Purchase price was 1.1 million. The appraised value was 1.45. The net rent was just over 102,000. And this is where it gets interesting. The market rent was nearly at 120,000. So, buying a property, uh, the tenants in there paying rent, they're paying below market value rent. They're not going to be want to going anywhere, anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Net yield on the properties, uh, 9.3%, which is fantastic. The tenant, there was two tenants. There's a medical centre tenant um, and there was a pathology lab as well. The head tenant or the medical centre has actually been in that location for 41 years. Wow. Very, very stable. Um, Comparable sales in the area, looking at, um, uh, you know, per square metre rate. Basically showed us uh, with the cap yield and valuation came in to support this. um, Is basically came in at a valuation of just under 1.5. Wow! So the yeah the lease itself it was a two by two by two uh, for the medical center and a three by three by three for the pathology lab. So interesting thing with this medical center is um, it was looked like it was straight out of the the 80s or the or the early 90s. So. Part of the I'm just strategy. shifting
0: the uh, the video around so people can see those photos down the bottom of the slide. So part of what
1: we look at with that that value add or that upside potential is mm-hmm. what we look at doing with with this client is approaching the uh, tenants and talking to them about if is there anything that we could do or, or the landlord could do to the property that would in turn help grow their business. Yep. So let's say it's a, it's an overhaul, redoing the outside, uh, renovating the interior, the foyer, whatever it may be, at the landlord's expense in return for an increase in the rent. Yep. Which then basically it dramatically increases the value of the property plus we get to increase the rent and improve the return on the property. Yep. So to make that, I guess, to put that into perspective, if, if we had a uh, million-dollar property, and it was renting at 70000 a, uh, a year, mm-hmm. or about 7%, if we said we were going to pay $50,000 in works to the property and whether that's, you know, redoing the foyer, the bathrooms, the exterior, um, adding an additional room, putting air conditioning throughout the property, whatever it may be, um, in return for $10,000 a year more in rent. Yeah. So... The tenants getting their property or their business, getting basically a facelift, a renovation, if they can directly um, correlate that with an increase in business, then it's a win for them. They're not having to do that big outlay. Um, But in terms of revaluing the property, if we could increase that value from 70000 to 80000 at a cap rate at 7%, that would then value that million-dollar property at $1.14.
0: Yeah, wow. Interesting. Yeah, that's, um, thank you for breaking it down there. I mean, you've got the the benefit of it. It increases the value of the property. You increase the value of the lease. You've got the deduction side of it as well, which you can claim. And you've sort of made a deal that's made your tenant happy. So they're more likely to stay around because they know they've got a landlord that's invested in them and, and their business as well. So that's absolutely fantastic. I want to move into a and a Um, I had a question uh, from Peter and that was, what were your thoughts on dedicated commercial kitchens for say Uber Eats? That's an interesting one. I've heard a lot about these black kitchens Mm. or dark kitchens or what have you, where they're in someone's basement and they cook dishes for 18 different restaurants. Let's assume we're not talking about one of those, but a legitimate commercial kitchen is, is that something that you see as, as perhaps a, a sneaky little emerging market?
1: Don't know the the tough thing with that is is the restaurant industry is they hate Uber Eats. you know they they take too much a uh, bigger slice of the pie off them so there's going to be a lot of resistance on that side but certainly think you know some changing uh, markets like that is, is certainly going to be interesting just as is I think um, shared office space in more regional locations or satellite yeah. cities you know we're seeing increase in central like central coast, Newcastle, if we go Victoria, Ballarat, Bendigo, Geelong are all seeing dramatic increases from inquiries from people living in capital cities. I spoke to uh, an agent in Central Coast today and he said 90% of the phone calls they've been receiving over the past 4 weeks have been from Sydney siders. Right. So I think where there may be an opportunity where it would be these shared offices or, you know, because not everyone's going to want to work from home um, yeah. and have a dedicated space. Or they do, but it gets, you know, a bit frustrating with the kids running around and, you know, all the rest of it. But if they could go just up the road for a shared office space, I think there's opportunities um, in, in, in that market.
0: Yeah interesting and Melinda's made the comment that she hasn't seen any sort of spike in inquiry from interstate migrants but they've locked the borders up there which I think are releasing on Friday so that could be an interesting uh, time to to look at it. I had a, 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 a question from this private gentleman um, who let's just call him A because his name starts with it. Um, he's asking you Jay when you transition from residential to commercial? Did you sell all residential and buy commercial or still hold some of the residential? Uh, I personally kept all, all resi, but I guess a couple of different
1: ways people can approach it is you build that resi portfolio in the, um, the acquisition stage. Yep. Um, when you get into the consolidation phase of your property investing journey is when you can potentially either extract equity from the resi portfolio to buy commercial or you could sell down some of your residential portfolio and convert into, into commercial.
0: Yep. He's also asked, and, and while I'm asking this question, actually, I'll just first put, if there's any, been any sort of aha moments from the webinar tonight, anything that you got that you thought was absolutely gold, any insights from that due diligence stuff, I'd love you to, to, to share that, um, to give us some, some feedback there. Of course, if you've got any questions, fire them through. We've got a couple of minutes left. Um, Mr. A has said, can we expect a downturn in commercial property price anytime soon? And he's specifically referring to warehouses. Yeah,
1: Generally, I don't like warehouses. And the reason being, the tenant moves out, you're stuck with an empty warehouse. Um, there's not a lot, unless it's really strategically placed in terms of proximity to motorways, highways, transport nodes. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's tough especially I think some of these new industrial parks on the outskirts in, in the, in the back of you know, nowhere, um, I think are higher risk. Um, but overall I think as we see businesses transition more to online, there is going to be a growing demand for, for warehouse and industrial space. So I'm not seeing a big, um, big risk coming in the, in that sector.
0: Yep. Marcus is interested in your thoughts on the tire fitting industry. Don't that's no, about it. That's <laughs> a very, a very niche one. I mean, like Economics 101, we talk about supply and demand and when we're in lockdown, we can't drive. So we're not wearing the tyres out, but I assume that's all going to change. But, I mean, is this an industry that is ripe for disruption? Are we going to have people sort of coming to your house to change the tyres or functionally? And this is where you've got to know a bit about tyre fitting. Do you need too big a machinery that that can't be done? Um, I guess taking a step back from it rather than the the
1: tire fitting industry, but let's have a look at what other industries or businesses could use that same premises. Right. That's probably the approach I would take, you know, looking at location, could that premises also be used by a a mechanic or, you know, multiple different industries where whatever business type went into that location, it would be uh, well-located, good layout, um and design but tire fitting industry i don't know enough about
0: but yeah you know, sure and yeah, sure.
1: The person i, I am I'll, I'll study
0: that tonight <laughs> oh, that, there's your night just ruined or oh, it's going to peak um We've got a question from uh, Ocken, I think it is. Any impact to commercial property prices due to COVID-19? I mean, commercials, there's all sorts of different commercials. There's all sorts of markets within markets. But across the board, has COVID-19 been a negative for commercial property in general apart from, say, the industries like accommodation where the business has shut?
1: Yeah, look, and office space in certain markets has certainly taken a hit. Um, Same with Resi, I always think there's sellers have more fear than buyers do. So as a, as a buyer and investor, you know, if we can use that to our advantage and we can see the bigger picture, the long-term, now we can negotiate things like um, rent guarantee for, for a certain period or understanding the, the inner workings of the code of conduct. Um, in New South Wales, for instance, the code of conduct does not apply for any leases entered into after the 24th of April. Right. So we can use things like that to, to our advantage. Um, I think in the beginning of COVID, there were a lot of um, sellers that had that uncertainty They were planning to sell, they didn't know. And that's partly what happened with that medical center as well, is um, you know that, that seller wanted out and wanted to retire. There was that uncertainty about COVID, what's gonna happen? As long as you do the due diligence on the tenant itself, have they made an application for rent reduction? Has their business, has that industry been impacted? Um, you know that that's the approach that I'll take.
0: Awesome, and Peter has said that uh, the case study was excellent. So thank you very much for putting that together. Ryan has asked to balance out a negatively geared Resi portfolio. What's a first, uh, a good first commercial commercial purchase? Say looking under seven hundred and fifty k purchase price. So someone's wanting to move from the Resi into the big leagues of commercial with people like yourself. Um, what should they be chasing if they've got um, seven hundred and fifty to spend? 750 I'd, I'd be
1: looking at some um, medical assets, so mm-hmm. smaller scale pathology, um, any allied health um, with strong trading history, um, dentist practice, stuff like that if we go into some of our major regional hubs. So whenever I look regional I uh, minimum 40,000 population, diverse local economy, not relying on a single industry. Um, making sure that we've got that population growth going into that regional area, Um, new job creation numbers to support that population growth. Um, But under sub-750, I'd be certainly looking at that. And then even some standalone office space in prominent locations in regional centres. So if we have a look at some of these regional towns, you know, you've got the high street in a lot of these regional towns. Yeah. you know, if you've got a business that's been there for, 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 for many, many years, um, great corner location on the high street, always being tenanted, strong rental demand in that location, stuff like that in that in that sub-750 bracket.
0: Beautiful. Um, we've had a question from Mr. Mr. A as well saying, very informative session, still having to get info about a commercial finance broker. Now I've pasted your, um, oh, I tried to paste your email address in this, but um, I would recommend that you reach out to Jay. He also asked the question, um, is the commercial finance broker included in your buyer's agent service? I'm assuming that you would be able to make those connections uh, am I correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we work really closely with a, with a couple of commercial finance specialists um, that we. i can happy to make an introduction to.
0: Yep. Shoot an email to Jay, and his email address is terribly easy to remember. It's Jay at Jay <laughs> So Melinda has asked, a very uh, interesting question about management and commercial property sector compared to resi. So, you know, we, we extol the virtues of a residential property manager, but a commercial property manager, what sort of influence do they have and how important is it to really interview and get a great one? This, this,
1: this, is, this is a very interesting topic. Um, so myself, I self-manage the commercial properties, um, and I would never ever self manage a residential property. Right. Um, so I use a uh, listing agent to help find mm-hmm. a tenant. Yep. Um, but the ongoing management of um, a commercial property, 99.99% of it surrounds that lease agreement. What's mm-hmm. in that lease agreement? What includes what it doesn't? Whose responsibilities? So, for my commercial properties and what I tell many of my clients is having a close ongoing working relationship with your property lawyer is is crucial. So a lot of the questions that might come through from the tenant about repairs, maintenance or whatever it may be, first thing to do is refer back to that lease agreement and really understand that. In the resi space, we've got these overarching guidelines. for, for tenancies and, 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 um, and how they work and responsibilities. But in commercial sector, it's really around what's included in that specific lease agreement. So I put a higher importance on the, um, uh, the property lawyer relationship rather than a, a property manager as such.
0: Wow, that's an interesting insight. I'm probably um, shut down and get hate mail after that, but <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Um, anything that gets us clicks—that's how the media works, isn't it? Um, Jay, we've probably uh, come to a close. If anyone wants to sneak a question in at the death, um, feel free to give it a, cry, a try. Um, but thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and your insights and the research and the case study that you've done today. Hopefully that gives some people some, some good background and, and covers off the 101. I've I found it very insightful myself. So thank you very much for joining us tonight and thanks to everyone for all the questions as well. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure chatting with you. Beautiful. We'll talk to you again soon. Cheers, Jay.
1: Thanks.